A couple months ago, a, a new neighbor of mine, uh, had, I was out on the porch doing something with one of the dogs, and, and a new neighbor came by, and, uh, and so we're visiting a little, introduced ourselves, and she come to, came to ask, after I had said I was a minister at a church, she came to say, oh, well, then are you a good Christian? <laughs> and I kind of smiled, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's always a little uneasy to answer that one, because you know, I got the feeling that what might come next would be, you know, but have you been born again, or, or is Jesus Christ your personal Savior? So I wasn't quite sure how to head that off, and my reply, my reply not that I wouldn't answer that, I mean, that's fine, um, she'll find out sooner or later who she's living next to, right? But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, but rather simply, I said, well, you know, I'm not sure exactly how you mean that, but I absolutely do follow the teachings of Jesus, the master teacher. And so from there, you know, we had kind of a nice conversation, and she found that, indeed, I wasn't born again, and, and which perhaps was more important to her. But later, upon reflecting about this, I thought, well, now what I said was absolutely true, and there's an and part to that. And how often do we actually remind ourselves what the teachings of Jesus were? Now, many of us, I think, probably have Christian backgrounds, and so we learned a little bit about his life. You know, we probably celebrated, you know, uh, in youth church when we were kids. You know, we may have went to scores of, of uh, Christian uh, churches and teachings. And how often were the actual teachings of Jesus emphasized? Actually, very seldom, I think. At least that's my experience, and it's the experience of, of lots of people. So we're just actually finishing up a five-week study of some of Jesus' specific teachings that I think have particular application uh, within the science of mind. And I saved, I have to tell you, I saved a tricky one for last. So far, they've been kind of upbeat. They've been kind of positive. They've kind of fed into our own sense of, of uh, self-esteem. They've kind of led us down that path of self-fulfillment and self-interest. And today I'm going to throw a ringer in here. It's the parable of the unprofitable servant, and I'll read it for you. But first, of course, I found a joke about another, uh, another unprofitable servant. And so we'll actually start off with the joke. Okay, and this is really a horrible joke, I have to admit. So uh, <laughs> we'll see how this one goes. So a rich couple were going out for the evening when the lady of the house gave the servant, Sheldon, the rest of the night off. She said that she and her husband would be home very late and that Sheldon should enjoy himself as he pleased. Well, as it turned out, the wife was not having a good time at the party, so she came home early. And she walked into the house. She sees Sheldon, the servant, sitting in the dining room. She calls for him and tells him to follow her into the master bedroom. She closes the door. She looks at him. She looks down at herself. Sheldon, would you take off my dress? He does so carefully. Then, Sheldon, take off my stockings. He silently obeys her, but you can feel the tension in the air. Sheldon, my underthings. As Sheldon does, the tension. Sharon down here is about to pee her pants. <laughs> this is worth this joke. As, as Sheldon does, the tension continues to mount. She looks at him and says, Sheldon, if I ever catch you wearing my clothes again, without... <laughs> with, 
you knew it had to have a better ending, right? Okay. Yeah. All right. So now, now you may think it's strange that I would actually take a joke like this as a teaching point, but there actually is a teaching point in this as well that isn't that dissimilar from the parable we're about to read. Now notice that she did not say it was inappropriate for him to be dressing in women's clothes. She simply said, right? If I ever catch you wearing my clothes again without my express permission, you're fired. And so really what this is telling me is that Sheldon did not know what the boundaries were here, right? Sheldon did not know what was okay and what's not. Now, she, she kind of led him down that path. Uh, she said that Sheldon should enjoy himself as he pleased, right? <laughs> and so, so I guess, well, you know, she could have been more specific as well. But the idea here is he really got in trouble for not finding out ahead of time what the rules were. He really got in trouble for doing something in kind of a secretive way, something, something against, apparently, the household rules, which probably makes sense. <laughs> All right, let us now read the parable of the unprofitable servant. This is from Luke 17, 6. The apostle said to Jesus the Lord, increase our faith. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Then he goes on to say, suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would you say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that, then you may eat and drink? Would he thank the servant because he did what he was simply told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told today, told to do, you should simply say, we are unworthy servants, for we have only done our duty. All right, now I could, you can see the worm has turned here. Suddenly, Larry's usual stories uh, about self-empowerment are turning a little because this parable is about obedience. This parable is about understanding our own place in the world as well as in a spiritual way. Okay, so by now you kind of know the drill. We interpret uh, Jesus' parables on three levels. The first one, the, the literal level, we have to know just a little bit about history because the whole idea of servants and masters and things like that is fairly foreign to us in 21st century America. Well, a thousand, two thousand years ago, servants were almost necessary. Uh, they did not have any kind of a social welfare system, and many people could not actually legally become landholders, could not legally own their own businesses and things like that. And so it actually was very fortunate if you were born into service. It was a way of assuring that in your old age, it was a way of ensuring that you'd have lifelong employment, a good place to stay, good food to eat. So this is a very different way of, of looking at the idea of service and being a servant than what we're used to today. I would even kind of one-up it a little bit. Back in those times, if you had a reasonable amount of money and did not have servants, you were considered uncharitable. 
So, so back in this day and age, if you did not help employ the people in the town that were otherwise unemployable, you were considered kind of a mean and cruel person. So, so servants absolutely in this day and age were, were not only called for, but were actually a good thing. Okay. Also, these jobs were coveted. I mean, lots of people were literally dying in the streets for lack of food. And so, you know, even what we might consider sort of a menial job, like being a maid or, or being a butler or something like that, were, those jobs were highly praised. The other thing you need to know, at the very beginning of the parable, it talks about the mustard seed, right? And, and of course, that, that's throughout um, the, the New Testament scriptures. And the idea of the mustard seed, for those of you who've never planted one or seed one, is simply that they are tiny. They are almost, you know, like microscopic. To trap just a single mustard seed is actually difficult to do. And yet, even in an arid climate, such as as the the place in the world where, where the Bible actually took place, in a single season, a mustard seed from a sprout can grow to 10, 12 feet tall. And so it was considered not only a miracle in that something so small could end up having such power, but also it was seen almost as kind of a magical element, one of those things that nearly is unseen and yet can produce something so powerful in a single growing season. And so often in in literature of the time, the mustard seed would be used to show that kind of mercurial growth, to show that kind of transformation that's possible from something small into something quite large, something quite powerful, almost in a magical, mercurial kind of way. All right, so on, then on the literal level, what is this parable telling us? And here's a big ouch. On the literal level, this parable is telling us that we need to know our place. This parable on the very literal level is saying if all you are is just a servant just doing what you're hired to do and no more, you are actually an unworthy servant. You're just doing, just plodding along, doing what you've already been hired to do. Nothing special here. No special reward here. No one's going to ask you to sit down and eat a meal first. Rather, even after a long day in the field, you should come in and prepare the meals for the other people. A little sobering, right? Not, not our typical parable story. All right, so now let's move into the metaphysical, and, and I think it gets a little more interesting here. So needless to say, the master-servant role would cast typically God as the master and us as the servant. Now I don't say this to mean it in the sense of we are subservient to God, because I absolutely believe that, that God and we are here as co-creators. But we are subservient in that sense of needing to know how natural and spiritual laws work. And the best way I can describe this is we have a very easy, a very comfortable, and a well-understood relationship with the law of gravity, right? Think about this, you know. We have been under, if you will, the influence of the law of gravity all of our lives. And, and I'm told that actually a fear of heights is one of the things that actually, ba- it's not even a learned response, it's something that babies come with. They immediately understand 
that they need to be careful that gravity, if they fall off of something, is not going to work to their advantage. And we accept it with an absolute law, don't we? That if we fall off a ladder, if we fall down the stairs, gravity, if we abuse it, if, we, if we're not careful, right, is going to do something that we won't like. And, of course, gravity, we can use it as well. People who understand how to use a fulcrum and, and things like that absolutely can use the gravity of their own bodies with a lever and a fulcrum to move an amazing amount of weight. So this same law can work for us, can work against us, and the key here is understanding it. We need to know how gravity works if we hope to employ it. All right, so that's my example in the physical world. I'm here to suggest it works exactly the same way in the metaphysical, in the spiritual world. There are actually a set of laws out there. And whether you want to use the word subservient to them, whether you want to consider yourself a, you know, a servant of them, I guess that's up for interpretation, that's up for grabs. But what I do know is that you will be working under the influence of them. If you think that your thoughts and your actions do not have consequences, <laughs> you know, it's like, hello, let's wake up, right? If we don't believe that, that, uh, that our own minds are powerful things, then we are going to miss out on our own abilities to co-create in this universe. We're going to think of ourselves as the effect of every person, place, and thing that comes our way. And generally, when we are the brunt of something, when we are the effect of something, right? We're not very powerful. And this parable, I think, reminds us that when we are in the position of having the law done unto us, rather than us working with natural and spiritual laws, we will end up most likely suffering through it. We're, we're still going to be subject to it, right? But if we don't understand it, if we don't work with it, if we don't understand that the law of reciprocity says, you know, where, where I put my interest out is what's going to come back to me. If we, if we don't understand that the law of circulation says I, I have to pay out something in order to get something back, whether it be money, whether it be love. If we don't understand that the law of cause, effect, cause and effect is working in our lives 24 hours a day, then I would suggest we are being the unprofitable servant. It's like we're keeping on, keeping on, and somehow we're hoping that we're going to get good results for it. Right? We're just plodding along, doing our day-to-day -day activities. We're, we're kind of sloppy in our relationships. We're, you know, we head off to work, but not a clear idea of you know, what my place is uh, in the job. What, what I loved about our musicians today is they were painting a picture of our uniqueness in the world. They were painting a beautiful picture of the light that is within us that can be given if we but know what it is. And that's my question for you. How do we rise up from this, this um, if you will, this place of being the unprofitable servant into co-creating with God a life that is more powerful beyond just showing up and doing what's necessary? This parable says if all you do is show up and do what's necessary, you're really not very profitable. You may be getting by, and i got to tell you, there have been times in my life when I have gotten up in the morning and I've said, all right, 
All I'm going to do today is just show up because that's all that I think I can manage on this day. And you absolutely have my permission. If you have days that are feeling like that, then yes, getting up, taking the shower, getting dressed, putting your clothes on, and showing up at work are an accomplishment. God bless us all. And at the same time, what I think is that all of us are here on a little bit more of a spiritual quest than just that. On our good days, and I hope we have many more of them than we do days in struggle, I hope, I pray, I accept for myself walking along a spiritual path of growth. No longer the unprofitable servant that just does what he's expected to do, but actually raising myself up as best I can in alignment with spiritual laws, in alignment with spiritual principles to bring more good into the world for myself as well as the universe around me. Now the parable, I think, that the household within which this is taking place I read this as the household of humanity. And so the profitable servant not only shows up and does that servant's duties, right? You know, my duties as, as a man, as a father, as a husband, my duties as someone in the working environment, my duties out in the world. But also, I use that gem of inspiration. I use my talent. I use that God-given and very unique ability within me to lift myself up along this spiritual evolution to lift likewise up the household, the world at large. That, I believe, is how we become the profitable servant. Using our own force, using our own intuition, using that own spark of, of intuition and greatness that is in within each one of us to do something more than just to show up. That, I think, is what this parable is calling us to understand on a more metaphorical and metaphysical level. Let me, uh, let me finish up level two here, the metaphysical level, with, uh, with how it's portrayed here in, in the book that we're using. Here's what Ernest Seal says about the metaphysical meaning then of this parable. If we learn the laws of nature and of nature's God, we shall find that they are all for our happiness. It is then our pleasure to move with them instead of against them. Then they become sovereign masters working for the extension of our good, and it is our joy to be servants of these masters." But if we do not serve them, if we do not devote ourselves to finding out what the laws of life and health and happiness are, and if we therefore do not abide by them, they still remain our masters. And they master us into trouble and in defeat because we were not devoted enough to accept something better at their hands. So these laws that I'm talking about, it's not like we get to turn them on or off, right? Any more than we can turn on or off gravity. You know, I'm, I'm going to be participating in the cleanup day in a little while, and last time I was at the top of a ladder, and it would have been nice if I would have just said, well, you know, today I'm going to suggest that we suspend the law of gravity just for a few minutes so that I get my, my work-changing light bulbs done without worrying about falling down, right? We can no more change the law of gravity, then we can change these spiritual laws in our life. 
You know, we cannot go about holding unforgiveness in our heart for someone who maybe has wronged us in the past and then expect love's going to come our way, right? How often have we been in a position of doing and thinking and behaving in a certain set of ways and yet a part of us is hoping and praying that we want the exact opposite back our way, right? Maybe we'll have a bad interaction with someone we care about, and nonetheless, we expect our day to be about love and joy. Maybe we have had a, a, you know, bad things happen us into our life, and so we end up with a, a continence, maybe kind of a closed heart, maybe a, a coolness or an abruptness in our dealing with, with people as a, as a result of things that have happened to us. And yet, and yet, is it not love that we crave? Is it not happiness? Is it not peace? Is it not the good life? Well, I'm here to tell you that if we only think that these laws are working part-time, if we're only thinking that we're co-creating when I say I am, (laughs) then we are absolutely this unprofitable servant, right? It's like, in fact, maybe we're worse than that because If we show up here on Sundays often enough, we at least in theory know what the laws are, right? We know the law of cause and effect and how it works. We know that what we put our attention on tends to increase. We know that if we want something good to come to us, we have to be free to give out something good before and and, and as part of that circulation. And so for us to think that we'll get by, right, to think that somehow we'll manage just by showing up and kind of, well, I know all that, but, but right now I have the right to feel supremely angry and unforgiven, right? Just because. <laughs> this way is folly. This is absolutely the description that they're talking about here, ab- about the servants that did our job, and then, and then we're hoping to re- be rewarded for it. We weren't doing our job. We were not using the tools and the spiritual laws that are here for our benefit. Now, I titled this actual talk Self-Realization because a profitable servant, I believe, is on the road to self-realization. I believe that we as profitable servants, understanding how the laws work, Understanding our place in the universe are here to do more than just to show up. I think each of us has a marvelous and unique gift to give that is beyond just our day-to-day activities, whatever they be. Whatever it is, you know, all of us, we have to do the laundry, we have to do the dishes, we have to, you know, suit up and show up for so many things. We do it as best we can, and what I know is we each also have a unique and precious gift to give. Something that only you can give, something that only you in your unique way can offer it up, something that only you can provide that the universe sorely needs. And this is how we become the profitable servant. This is our road to self-realization. This is how we elevate the whole community, the whole household, the entire human race through the use of and the understanding of our gift. Now, do I know what your individual gift is? I don't. I don't. But I bet we could figure it out. I bet it would not take too much self-examination or working with a practitioner or even a close friend. 
it probably wouldn't take too much meditation, too much introspection, too much reflection about what has given us great pleasure, where we have felt the most useful, how we have showed up in ways that have delighted others. All of these are great clues, almost a blueprint, if you will, into what our greatness is. And I think we all want to be that profitable servant. <coughs> I think we want to understand our place, yes, and move beyond it. I think each one of us, in the utilization of our gifts, want to make this universe a better place for ourselves and for other people, and we have the power to do it. Now on to the personal side. So we, we've covered the, the literal side of the, of the uh, parable. We've covered the metaphysical side. I simply, for the personal interpretation today, want to ask you what kind of a servant you are. Now let's put aside that maybe the stigma of the idea of, of that master-servant kind of role and instead think of yourself as a servant, if you will, to humanity itself. Think of yourself as a servant beyond just your natural role of, of mother, of father, of sister, of brother as your vocation. Think of yourself beyond being a, a singer or a songwriter or a minister or a lab technician or a CPA or a, whatever we tend to self-identify ourselves with. Put aside that for a moment because what I know is that those are roles and I'm going to trust that you all are doing them perfectly well or can, can have the training or the means to learn how to do them perfectly well. Put that aside for a moment and simply ask yourself, how are you serving something bigger than your roles? How are you serving humanity itself? How do you feel to feel pulled into something just a little greater than suiting up and showing up on a daily basis? Because this is your path of transformation. This is your path of self-realization. This is how you become profitable, not only to yourself, but to the world at large. I'm going to close today with a quote of Ernest Holmes from the Science of Mind magazine. And I think he beautifully addresses the other part of the parable here, which is the idea of the mustard seed. Here's what he says about that parable. Though we find our faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, it will be sufficient unto our needs. As our faith grows through definite and constant practice, it will do more than satisfy simply our personal needs. It will bring forth that which is divine within ourselves. It will bring forth hidden talents which have been lying dormant. It will see, cause us to never again feel insecure, lonely, or separated. For such faith makes us whole. Let us pray. There is one power, one beautiful presence in this universe. It is that thing which I call God. And what I know about God is it is 100% of all that we call love and joy and peace and happiness. It is that God-given divinity within each one of us that allows us to say, I am love. I am peace, I am joy, I am happiness. And as this is true for me, as I embrace this in my own life, knowing that I am this servant, 
of the Most High, knowing that I am this gracious servant, understanding how the law works, understanding my place in the universe and my desire to better the universe and myself. As it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that each person here has this most marvelous gift to give, that each person here has that willingness, that ability, that capability of giving from their true heart, of giving, bettering themselves and the planet, using the natural laws, using the spiritual and natural laws for something great, for something wonderful. And that God is right here as a co-creator, sitting right in that place of co-creation with each person here to bring this gem, this insight, this beauty into firm fruition into that giant mustard seed after only one growing season, into that which is great and marvelous and beautiful. And I am simply grateful for this. I'm grateful for the power and presence of God, grateful in knowing that faith, even the size of a mustard seed, transforms the world into something beautiful and wonderful and magical. I just let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you. Thank you.